All right, thank you very much. That's always encouraging. I, I want to say to Anchor Baptist Church, I want to thank you for your support, your generous support of Heartland Baptist Bible College. Um, we don't take that lightly. Any church that we're in, doesn't matter if it's a small church, larger church, anywhere in between, we are grateful for every, every church that gives to support Heartland Baptist Bible College. Makes us one of the most affordable Bible colleges in the country. It went up just a little bit, but last year it was $8,640 for two semesters. Jackson got to do that, uh, and he went for a Bible certificate. And, I, you know, we don't say a lot about that. We do sometimes, we just don't, because we're a ministry college. But I will tell you, we've had a lot of young people come over the years for one year, get down what they believe. And Jackson got a lot according to his dad. He, he learned a lot of things there. And, and he's not called to ministry, and so he's going to move on with his life. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, if you ought to pray about it. If you say, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I'll tell you, you couldn't start in a better place than coming to a Bible college and just sitting under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and being in class and figure out, all right, this is who I am and this is why I believe this. And you know, that's what my church taught me. That My pastor taught me that. It's not like your pastor just made this stuff up. It's in the Bible. I, I think you know that, but I'm just saying anyway. Thank you so much for your support. We do have a table back here. We got some good music. One of the things that we have that we didn't, we've never had before, uh, we have a flash drive that has 80 sermons on it. 80 sermons. And uh, anyway, that's a lot of people have went for those this year. So if you need some good preaching, I know you get it here, but just different people that have preached through the years at Heartland, uh, please avail yourself to that. All right, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn with me to the uh, Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke in chapter number 14 this morning. Luke chapter number 14. And uh, when you find your place, if you're able to stand, I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me in honor of the Word of God this morning. We're going to read the first six verses. The first six verses of Luke 14. And if you're saying, oh man, that's a short passage, that means nothing. It means absolutely nothing, okay? But it is a short passage, but there's a lot packed into this passage that I'm going to try to unpack this morning to make application. Look with me in verse number one. And I'm going to refer to what's happened just before this because it really does flow into where we're going to be in verse number one. And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. We'll explain that in just a moment. I think it's very important to what we're going to talk about here. And Jesus answering, spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go and answered them. Now, ladies and gentlemen, they haven't spoken in this text. Did you notice that? We're going to talk about that. He answered them saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit? Now, that's also an important word. We'll come back to that. And will not straightway, straightway means immediately, pull him out on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him again to these things. 
I want to preach for just a few moments this morning on a Sabbath healing that silenced the hypocrites. Father, I pray this morning that you will bless your word. We are grateful and we are thankful for that word. And I'm thankful that as we talked about just a moment ago in Sunday school, that it can save us. But I'm also grateful that it can help us and sanctify us to be more like you. So I pray that you'll use your word today. If there would be someone in this service, they're not saved, would you by your Holy Spirit bring conviction? Show them that they're lost. Show them that they need a Savior in Jesus Christ, that he loves them. I pray you would do that through the word of God today. But for the majority of the people in this room that are saved today, I pray that you'd use this text and help it to speak to them to help them to be what they need to be in your service. So would you bless them on these next few moments, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you. may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God. It was about 78 years ago this week, the end of July 1945, that Harry Truman, the President of the United States, issued one final warning to the Empire of Japan. You need to completely, total surrender. And if you don't, quote, there will be a rain of ruin from the air the like of which has never been seen on the earth. Now we know that on August the 6th, 1945, Hiroshima took place and that wasn't the end of the war, but it started going in that way. And then I believe on August the 9th, three days later, Nagasaki was bombed and that ended it. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, it didn't have to end that way because the President of the United States issued one final warning. If you don't surrender, it's going to be too late. Now, in this context here, Luke is recording for us another Sabbath miracle after Jesus has just made a dire prophecy to the nation of Israel. In chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets. I, you know, I would, I would have you gathered like thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. And behold, your house is left to you desolate. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's a warning to the nation of Israel that you need to change your mind about who I am. And if you don't, there is going to be dire consequences. And the question is, is that warning of chapter 13, is it going to have any effect when we come into chapter 14? And the answer is no effect. And eventually Jerusalem will be destroyed. Just like Jesus said it would be, and it happened in 70 A.D. Now, I want you to notice here, there are six verses here, and Jesus is going to heal a man on the Sabbath day. But what is amazing is that the miracle and the reaction to it really illustrates, as someone has said, the stupidity and the cruelty of unbelief. The stupidity of unbelief is seen here in that they have these Sabbath laws. These Sabbath laws had nothing to do with the Word of God. They were man-made rules. That's why Jesus continually ignored them. So that's simply there. He didn't want to mess with them. And there was nothing that was permitted in their rationale that would allow anybody to do anything on the Sabbath day. Okay, but also the cruelty unbelief is seen here in that they did not want this man healed on the Sabbath. And why would they do that? It's very simple. 
When you reject God, you act very cruel and you do very stupid things. And there's nothing new under the sun that was going on in Luke chapter 14 and it's going on in 2023. And if we wonder why, why is this world so insane, I'll tell you, we've rejected God. We've rejected the Bible, we've rejected his authority and now we are living with the fruit of that. And unbelief only harms people, it does not help them. And the ultimate harm, listen, the ultimate harm is you die and go to hell if you don't repent and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So I want you to notice this here. Let me just set the table. We're going to get preaching here in just a second. In this passage here, Jesus is going to confront the Pharisees and the lawyers here for their religious hypocrisy. And Jesus accepted dinner invitations from unbelievers, but he never went to socialize. He went on a mission. And he went on a mission here in this passage. And so there are three aspects here in this passage that I want you to see. I'm going to try to unpack it here because there's something very important that I want you to see in this passage this morning. So notice here in verse number one, I want you to notice the setting for what's about to take place in this context here. The Bible says it came to pass. And it really indicates an unspecified time during the Lord's purpose, purposeful journey to Jerusalem. If we don't have time to turn, but if you went back to chapter 9, verse 51 of the Gospel of Luke, the Bible says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And all the rest of the way, Luke is recording that journey to Jerusalem as Jesus is going to go and he's going to die for the sins of the world. Now on this particular occasion, as he had done in the past, you can find about the past in Luke chapter chapter 7, Luke chapter number 11, the Bible says that he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread. All right? That is to have a meal. And no doubt this would have been prepared in advance of the Sabbath restrictions on food preparation. All they had to do is go in and take it out and eat. And this was in the home, the Bible says, of a chief Pharisee. Could be, can be dogmatic, possibly the ruler of the local synagogue that Jesus had attended that day, maybe even a member of the Sanhedrin. That's a possibility, but I'm just saying that's where he went this day. This meal would have been the midday meal of the Sabbath meal, which took place after the morning meeting in the synagogue. And this was a gathering, you need to get this, this was a gathering of many of the elite Pharisees, scribes and lawyers that would be here. And listen, when they got together, they were always seeking to be honored. They were always seeking prestige. And they never, listen, never would have invited anybody to a meal that was below them. That would have not happened in their mind. It was beneath their dignity. And they were shocked. And they were appalled when Jesus regularly associated with the outcast of Jewish society. Everybody with me? He's eating with sinners, all right? And so it's interesting to me that when you come to this passage, Jesus has been invited and the man with the dropsy has been invited, okay? Jesus was hated by this group of people. And the man with the dropsy, he was a dis disrespected outcast. But he's there for a purpose because we're going to get Jesus and we're going to trap him. Now can I tell you, you can't trap God. And you can't put God in a box and they're not going to do that with Jesus. But that's the setting here, alright? So look here, the last part of verse number 1. And the Bible says, notice that, that they watched him. 
And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. All right? So we have here, Luke is telling us, listen to this, they're setting up Jesus Christ. This is a setup. This is all set up here to bring the hammer down because we don't like him because he's breaking our religious rituals on the Sabbath day. And so because the Pharisees and because the lawyers had this animosity towards Jesus, the question would arise, then why are they here? Why is Jesus here? Why is this man with the dropsy here? Well, the Bible tells you they watched him. I want you to notice the word watch there. It is to observe very carefully, minutely. It is to look out. It is to pay attention to. Let me say it this way. It's to take, uh, what do you call it, a magnifying glass and look and see what's going on. Is everybody with me? That's how most people do it anyway. They want to look at everybody else's sin under a, a microscope, a magnifying glass, and they want to look at their sins with the, tele, with the telescope turned around backwards. You think about that, you'll get that. So anyway, they're watching him here at this meal. Now, the word watched here in the gospel really takes on a very sinister tone with the idea that these men are trying to spy on Jesus. They are seeking for an opportunity, a malicious intent to, to trap him. And Jesus was invited because they were setting him up because we want him to come in. We want him to see this man here with the dropsy. We want to entrap him so he'll break our rules. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Can I remind you of something? That if you're a child of God and you're saved and you washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, people are watching you. They're looking at your lives. The folk you live around, they watch you when you go to church. I remember living in Tulsa. I was pastoring in Tulsa at that time. And uh, I knew the neighbor across the street. I didn't know him real well. He was a guy in his 80s. And he was a good neighbor. I mean, he was just a guy that watched everything. And uh, we, he went to a Methodist church and all that kind of stuff. But I remember one time my phone rang. I got up early when I pastored, about 4.30. And my phone rang a little after 4. And it was this guy across the street. And he said, I know you get up early because you're getting ready, to, getting ready to go to church. And he said, I just want you to know they're getting ready to turn the water off and you're not going to have any water for a shower. So if you want to take a shower, you might want to do that real quick. <laughs> now, we never talked about that. But he watched. Does everybody listen to me? There are people watching you at work. They're watching you in your neighborhood. They're watching you. They know you're a Christian. And they're watching. And not necessarily they're watching to see all the good things you do and all your good points. They're watching to see if you make a mistake. So they say, that's why I'm not a Christian. All these Christians are hypocrites. Why do I want to go to church? I'm telling you, they're watching you. Now, they're not going to find any mistakes in the Son of God here because he's perfect. But they are watching you, and that is going to be your lot in life as a child of God. So they are, they are not wanting to listen to what he has to say. They are not wanting to bring their lives into conformity with his word. They are watching him so they can reproach him. Now watch this. And then they baited the trap. <laughs> they set, now notice what your Bible says here, a certain man in which had the dropsy was right here. And no doubt, because the, the, the text makes it very clear that when Jesus came in, he saw him. So I want to make sure I say this before I forget. Dropsy. What is dropsy? Well, I don't know. When I was a kid, I always thought 
you know, you drop to your side. That's a dropsy. That's not what dropsy is. In fact, it has a medical term, and you can look it up. It is called edema. It's a medical condition in which the body abnormally retains fluids, and it causes your body to swell. It's not a disease, but rather the symptom, if we could say, of a disease or a condition of the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, or the liver. And, and what it basically does, your body ends up filling up with fluids and you drowned. Is everybody with me? I'm going somewhere with this, just not yet now. But you need to put that in the back of your mind. So this man is literally drowning in his body fluids from this condition in his body. All right, so the rabbis viewed such a condition as this individual here. Uh, they said, you know what? This is happening because of this man's sin and he is, he is, he is, not, uh, he is ritually unclean. And since no Pharisee would tolerate it, this defiled man at the meal, they obviously planned this man to be here because it's a setup to get Jesus to break their laws. So they're, for, they're very... They're very sure of themselves because if he does what he's done in the past, he's going to come in, he's going to look at this man, and he's going to heal him, and we're going to have him exactly where we want him. May I say this? In their twisted minds, they would confirm their belief that he was not from God if he broke their laws. Not the law of God, their laws. And that kind of thinking graphically reveals the depths of their spiritual blindness and the hardness of their heart because they didn't want to believe in God. And in fact, I think we could say this, they were actually challenging Jesus to perform a miracle so they could say, now we have a reason to reject you. That's what they're doing. Their view, they would view the healing as a result. This guy's under the power of Beelzebub. This guy's under the power of devils here. There's no way he can do this. He's not a man from God. And they did believe that he was empowered by the devil. And listen to me, in a display of duplicity and hypocrisy, the self-appointed guardians of the rabbinic law actually were encouraging Jesus to break it. Now let that roll around upstairs for a minute. We got these laws, we want him to break it. I don't know anybody in their mind that says, you know, we got this law, we want people to break it. We want people to keep the law. Are you with me? But they're actually wanting, they're encouraging him, they want him to do this. And I want you to notice this here. Behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Jesus asked the question, he held their peace, and notice this, he took him and healed him and let him go. Here's what I want you to notice. When Jesus came into that house, the first thing he noticed was that man with that condition. And he set about to deliver him from his condition. Let me say it this way. He set about to do for that man which no human being could do for him. He saw that man where he was at that nobody could help him. Can I remind you today, if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ, Jesus is the only one that can help you in your worst condition. And somebody says, what is my worst condition? You need forgiveness of sins. You're a sinner. You have missed God's mark of righteousness. You need somebody that loves you, that died for you, that made an atonement for your sins, that satisfied the divine wrath and the holiness of God, and that is Jesus Christ. And he looks at you, and he wants to deliver you today. He wants to do something for you 
that you possibly can't do for yourself. And that's our greatest need. You may think my greatest need is more money. My greatest need is physical. My greatest need is financial. My greatest need is educational. No, ladies and gentlemen, your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. And Jesus is going to heal this man. He's going to do that here in just a second, all right? So I want you to notice this. This is pretty cool. I think it's cool. I think anybody that makes the Bible boring ought to be hung up and beat, okay? I'm just telling you, it's not boring. It's very exciting. So I want you to notice here in verses 3 down through verse number 6, I want you to notice this, that Jesus silenced the hypocrites. Now, they never speak in this passage. But I want you to notice this. In verse number 3 and 4, look at it again. Jesus very masterfully, as he did all through his ministry, he masterfully turned the tables on those who sought to entrap him, and instead, he entrapped them. So, would you notice there in verse number three, Jesus answering. Everybody see that? That tells us that Jesus was responding to the thoughts of his enemies. Now think about that. Their thoughts aren't recorded, but he's God. Now can I say to you, that ought to just put the brakes on right there. This guy knows what we're thinking. Whoa, he must really be God. But it didn't do that. But it should have. But because of their unbelief and because of all the things they're going through, they're just going to continue to, dis, they're going to, continue to uh, discount that. But Jesus understood their thoughts. And may I remind you today that he knows everything that you think. And he knows everything that goes through your mind. He knows your thought. You can't hide anything from him. I'll just tell you, he knows why you're here today. I don't. Pastor Rice doesn't, he doesn't have a clue why you're here. I just assume that everybody comes because they want to. But you know what? It's not important that anybody knows why you're here, but he does. He knows why you do what you do. He, is, he, he knows the motives of everyone. And it simply shows, I'm just simply showing you here in this passage, it shows that Jesus was omniscient because he knew the thoughts of his enemies and he knew what they were thinking and he knew that they wanted him to break their silly Sabbath rules here. And this display of omniscience did not change their mind one bit. So look at verse 3. And Jesus answering them, spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Now notice this. And they held their peace. I'm going to have fun with this one. They didn't answer. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is obvious. Come on. Yes, it would be lawful to heal on the Sabbath day. If let, Let's just say, let's just say this. If it's Sunday, I know Sunday is not the Sabbath, but let's just say it, we were back in that day and time and you had cancer and I have, the, I, have the, I have the answer. You take this pill, you'll be cured. No, I can't do it. I can't do it because it's the Sabbath. You'll have to wait till tomorrow. Well, you may be dead by tomorrow. You may not make it till tomorrow. And so I'm just saying to you, it was a very obvious yes, this should be, but the asking of this question indicates that it was a serious character problem in the hearts of the lawyers, in the hearts of the Pharisees, because they would not, they would not answer it. They held their peace. We're not going to answer that. We're, we're not going to say anything. And I want to say this one more time. I've, writ, I've written it down a little bit different way. Whenever Jesus Christ is rejected, as he was with the Pharisees and lawyers at the Sabbath meal, 
People have a very hard time knowing and recognizing the obvious. Do you remember? I'm just telling you. I, I, do you remember a couple of years ago, there was a woman that sat before a Senate committee and was looking at a confirmation job for the Supreme Court and somebody had the audacity to ask her, can you define what a woman is? Do you remember that? And she said very intelligently, quote, I can't answer that, I don't know, or something like that. That's a very obvious answer. But see, when you reject God and you reject the Bible and you reject the morality, then you can't, answer, you can't answer the obvious. Hey, I I may not be able, please listen to this, I'm going somewhere with this. I may not be able to define everybody what pornography is, but I'm here to tell you when I see it, I know what it is. But judges can't even understand that in our day and time. They don't get it. Is everybody with me? I mean, it should, be very, it should be very obvious to people out here in our world that uh, we didn't just come by accident. But people know there's this process of evolution. Pfft. No, there's a God. Is everybody with me? And I'm just saying, people are looking for something that's so obvious, but because they've rejected everything that God says, they can't say that. We, hey, we can't even say there's two genders. I'm saying, we can, but I'm talking about the world. They can't even say there are two. Hey, there are only two. It doesn't matter what the world says. The Bible says he made a male and female. That's all there is. But no, no, there's no buts. You go back to the Bible. What does God say? And I'm just saying to you, when you reject God's authority, you can't answer the very obvious questions that come about. So I need to make sure I, I need to set this. You need to listen to this. This is very important. You and I need to understand that ministry to a sick individual was by no means a violation of the Old Testament law. It's not in there. But the rabbis had all these traditions of men that they had added to the law and they prohibited anyone from treating a sick person on the Sabbath day unless that individual was in imminent danger of dying. You can't go touch him. That's work on the Sabbath day and you can't do that. No, 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 no. That's a no, no. You can't do that. So, watch this. They held their peace. So that question that Jesus asked backed the enemies of Jesus Christ, the Pharisees and the lawyers. It really backed them into a corner that they're not going to be able to get out of here in just a second. And if they said, well, yeah, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath day, you can do good, then that's going to put, yes, okay, on the ministry of Jesus Christ. But if we say, no, it's not okay to do that, that's going to make us look like big time uncompassionate jerks. I'm being very nice there because there's a lot of other things we say about it. But I'm telling you, there's, they're in a no-win situation. If they say, yes, it's good to do that, that's going to prove Jesus' ministry. If we say, no, it's going to make us look bad before the people of Israel. And so the Bible says they held their peace. And may I say to you that the silence of the Pharisees really condemned them because here was a question that anyone with road walking sense could answer correctly, but they can't answer it because we've rejected God. We've rejected Jesus Christ. 
And we cannot answer this. So look here, verse number four. And he, Jesus, took him, the man with the dropsy, and healed him and let him go. So after he silenced their objections here, Jesus went ahead in front of them and healed this man with the dropsy. And the miracle, watch this, you read the text, it was not requested by the man, by the man who was afflicted, it was not requested by anyone on his behalf here, there's nothing like that in the text, but the Bible says, I love this, that Jesus took him, he seized control of him, and Jesus immediately healed the man that all of the body fluids were gone. Quicker than I can do that, the guy's healed. <laughs> And what did he do? Let's see. He let him go. He turned loose of him, don't miss this, so he could enjoy his newfound life. I don't know if you're getting this or not, but when you get saved, Jesus looses you so you can enjoy life in him. And there are people, there could be somebody in this room today, I don't know, but there could be somebody in this room today, you could be addicted, you could be addicted to alcohol, you could be addicted to drugs, you could be addicted to pornography, you could be addicted to video games, I mean, just name it. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ, He can take control of your life and He can loose you and give you a reason and a purpose to live life. He can do that. You know why? He's God. Mm, it's good stuff. So look at this here. I, I, I'm almost done and got to make some application because we've got to get the application. So look here, verse 5. So Jesus is going to ask him another question. And he answered them saying, again, they've not spoken. Now which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit and will not straightway or immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? So Jesus compassion, his miracle of mercy here to a man on the Sabbath day uh, how, what would you do if you had an ox or an ass that fell into a pit? They would have, are you listening to this? They would have mercy on an animal. So, I don't think Rocky Harrell's reading anything into this, but I think I can say this, that people are more important than animals. I think I got pretty good biblical foundation to say that. Okay, And so, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they opposed the rescuing of humans on the Sabbath day from sickness, but not an animal. A service animal, they would straightway or immediately go out. Now here's what I want you to notice. Look at that word pit. What is that? Well, in our King James Bible, the word that's translated pit is translated... Well, in John chapter 4, verse 11 and verse 12. So when the Bible talks about a pit, it's a pit of water. Are you seeing any correlation here? Because he says, if you've got an animal that falls in this pit, this well, it could drown. And here we have a man that is drowning in his bodily fluids. And yet you would take your animal out of the pit on the Sabbath day immediately. And you don't want this man to be healed immediately on the Sabbath day? What in the world is wrong with you? I think that's somewhere in the Greek language there. But And would you notice verse 6? i do this quick. Look at what it says. It says they could not. That's right. That's right, 
Did you see that? It says they could not answer him. In verse 3, they held their peace. They wouldn't. But in verse 6, they could not answer him. Can I tell you, this is a very significant difference in the two responses, and the difference carries a great warning because when you become obstinate and when you say, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to answer God, I'm going to tell you there's going to come a day that you're not going to be able to answer. And when you die without Jesus Christ, it's too late. Today is the day of salvation. And so they could not answer. All right. If you'll listen quick, I'll give this to you quick. That's a great story. But there are five lessons that we learn from this story here. Right here in this text, there are five lessons I want you to get this. Number one, hypocrites study the word of God for ammunitions against others. But they don't apply it to themselves. That's what they were doing here. The Pharisees and the lawyers, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. They, but listen, they had added so much man-made material to the word of God. And here's what they were doing. They were waiting to catch Jesus in an error. And their aim is, listen, their aim in knowing the word of God was not knowing God. It was so we can pounce on somebody else to nail them to the wall. They're watching Jesus closely but they're not watching themselves closely. How about this? Oh, there's a lot of things we could say, but how about this? Uh, husbands are to love their wives as Jesus loved the church. But sometimes husbands will say, you're supposed to submit to me. Well, you're supposed to love her the way Jesus loves his church. See, and, we, and ladies can do it too, but we can, I know what the Bible says, and you need to do what the Bible says. But wait a minute, what does the Bible say you're supposed to do? They didn't do that. Number two, watch this. Hypocrites target and try to bring down anyone who confronts their sin with the word of God. You see, they invited Jesus to a meal to try to set him up, to try to cause him to bring him down, and they did not invite Jesus to the lunch table that day. They didn't bring him in so they could learn from him, so they could gather some information from him. No, they brought him in because they wanted to destroy him. Do you know sometimes, I've had this, sometimes people come to church to see, let's see if that preacher does it right today. Tell you what. It, it's always amazed me. It's always amazed me. I got two former uh, pastor and former pastor and pastor. It's always amazed me as a former pastor that what people notice in a church service. And I pastored. I pastored for twenty six years, and I can tell you, I can have somebody sitting on this side of the auditorium, they get it, and I have somebody on this side, they don't get it. They just totally missed it. You know why? Because it's coming. What I'm coming looking for what they were doing. They weren't coming to learn more about Christ. They were coming because they were trying to find error. Number three, hypocrites care more about their man-made rules than about people being right with God in their hearts. You see, the Pharisees couldn't care less about this hurting man. They had no compassion for this man. It didn't matter that, to them that this man was suffering and that he was dying from the fluids in his body. And Jesus is breaking our rules. Oh, how in the world can this be? Hypocrites usually care more about external conformity than about inward righteousness. Oh, mercy. I'm trying to land the plane, but hang on here just a second. Please listen. God looks on the heart. 
But that doesn't mean he's not concerned about the outside. I'm telling you, oh, mercy is a pastor. God looks on the heart. Yes, he does, but he is, more, he is concerned about your heart. But that doesn't mean he's not concerned about the outside. And we need to make sure we understand that as God's people in our individual lives. And if Jesus had observed the rabbinic traditions, this man would have not been healed. They would have not bothered Jesus. But Jesus was concerned about hurting people. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll be more concerned about what happens on the outside than what happens on the inside. So, I'm just going to tell you this real quick. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, one was a publican. The Pharisee began to say, oh, I am so good. I'm paraphrasing. I am so good, God. You are such a blessed. You are so blessed to have me. Why, well, I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I have. I am not like that ugly publican over there. And the publican wouldn't even lift up his face to God and said, God, beat upon his breast. God, be merciful to the sinner. And Jesus said that publican went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee because the Pharisee thought because I do all these things, I must be right. Hey, folk, you can do everything you're supposed to and not be right with God. You can look as good as you can on the outside and be everything you need to be on the outside and have a heart as wicked that, make, that would make Satan upset and puke. Because I'm here to tell you, these people were concerned about Jesus keeping a rule. Jesus was concerned about saving the man. How about this? Hypocrites bend the rules for their own purposes, but apply them rigidly to others. Hey, if we got an ox or an ass that falls in a pit, I'll Gary, we're going to go up there and we're going to get it out of that pit real quick. But there'll be no healing on the Sabbath day. Sometimes parents can be harder on their children than they are on themselves. We can be harder on other people than we are ourselves. That's what they were doing. They're easy on themselves. Hard on everybody else. And let me give you this. Hypocrites often ignore overwhelming evidence in order to persist in their sin. Because Jesus very powerfully and Jesus very miraculously heals this man, but the Pharisees and the lawyers in this context, they ignored the evidence. And here's the sad thing. Listen to this, I'm done. It's not the first time it happened. If you were to go back to Luke 4, Luke 6, Luke 13, it's happened three times in Luke's gospel. They ignore the evidence. Jesus healed people. They had all the evidence they ever needed. If an individual is not careful, they can build a case to defend their point of view and ignore overwhelming biblical evidence that convicts them of their sin and their unrighteousness because they're a hypocrite. Now, folk, I'm an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist. But for the life of me, I can't figure out how you can look at this world and we live in and think it's all by accident and chance. And there are people out here that can give people the evidence 
and they can show them everything they need to know and they'll say, no, I believe that we came from an amoeba. You know why? Because they ignore it. And listen to this, and your pastor can get up and preach Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday, Wednesday and can tell you the truth of the Word of God. Well, that's just what my pastor says. Well, hey, if he's preaching the Word of God, it's not his Word. It's God's Word. And what it behoove us to do is to take that Word of God and not say, eh, I know, I know, I know. So, oh man, come down here so I can quit. I'm just telling you, we live in a day, I was talking to the pastor yesterday, we live in a day and time when people, I thought I would never see this, of people that I know that just think it's okay to go out and have a social drink once in a while, just drink a little bit. And I'm here to tell you, well, gee, after all, Jesus made wine, it should be okay. And here's what people do. They build their own evidence, never mind that God said, don't even look at it. Well, I only drink sociably. I only drink moderately. Well, let's try that on adultery and see how that works. I only commit adultery once a month. How about this? I murder moderately. I only do one a month. It's not like I'm a murderer. That's foolish, and it's foolish to say I can drink. I got to quit, but I'm here to tell you, if the Word of God says something, stand on it. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the lawyers. Well, we're not going to say nothing because we got our own way of thinking. No, what we need to do is go back to the book and stand on the book and say that's what God said. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. I thank you so much for your attention to the Word of God today. I'm going to ask you just a couple of questions and I'm going to turn it over to the pastor this morning. I want to ask you this. Most important question I'll ask today is this. Do you need to be saved? I'm not asking if you need to join the church, get baptized, turn over a new leaf. I'm asking if you need to be saved because Jesus loves you and he died for you and he paid a payment for you. He paid for your sins. You don't have to die and go to hell. You can receive him as your personal savior because your greatest need is to have a savior and your sins forgiven. And maybe there'd be someone in this auditorium that says, Brother Rocky, that's me. I need to be saved today. I'm telling you, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I need to, I need to receive Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. I'd love to pray for you. My prayer won't save you, but you need to acknowledge I have a need. Is there anybody like that at all today? I'm going to look around. Nobody's looking. Anybody at all in this auditorium? I'm not sure. Then I'll ask you this. As a believer, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. This lost world is watching you very carefully. Are you living your life so as not to bring reproach to the Savior, to the cause of Christ? Or are you living your life saying, I'm saved, it's under grace, I can live how I want to, because that will bring a reproach to Christ. But the world is watching you. They're watching you. And I think it might behoove some of us today to just say, I need to be careful how I live. I need to be careful in all that I do and all I say because this world is watching me. Maybe that's somewhere here today. But maybe this, maybe this, maybe the Spirit of God has reached down and maybe He has said, you know, you kind of fit in those categories of those people, those Pharisees and lawyers there, using the Word of God for what you want or not bringing it up to conformity. I don't know. 
The Spirit of God can work and however the Spirit of God wants to work in this service, that's up to Him. But I'm saying to you today, if He's spoken, if He's convicted, if He's moved in any way, then that's between you and the Lord and you probably need to do business with Him today. But you'd be here this morning, you say, Brother Rocky, I'm here, God's spoken to my heart. Would you pray for me? I'd love to pray for you. Is anyone like that at all today? Just slip your hand up. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you this morning. God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you. I see your hands. God bless you. I want to pray for you. What you do is not between you and Rocky Harrell. I'm just the messenger. What you do is between you and the Lord today. So let's stand together. Father, sure do love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the plainness of it. And I pray that you'd be with every individual hand that was raised just now. I, I don't know. I have no clue what you're doing, how you're moving. But I pray for each hand that was raised that you would work and accomplish your will and way in this invitation. Lord, I didn't see anyone here this morning that said they weren't saved. But if there is, I pray you'd, I pray you'd bring conviction and show them that they need to be saved today. So would you move and work in this invitation as you see fit and accomplish your purpose in all of our individual lives in Jesus' name. Piano's playing, the altar's open. These have come, there's room, there's time. If God's spoken to your heart, why not move? What a great message this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I'm, I'm not sure of my salvation. Why not get that nailed down? Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe something else. God has spoken to your heart. Why not come? Why not move? Let God have His perfect way in your life. one more verse as she plays don't put it off do business with God